Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast. I am Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic. I'll be joined in a second here by Jake Reiner of CBS2 Los Angeles, and we'll even be getting some further help in today's episode as we start the offseason. It's it's got to be a weird feeling, Rams fans. I understand uh, after the past two seasons of, of the playoffs, of great success, looking forward to some January football, and, and here we are. Uh, no more practices, no more games, sitting and, and watching the other teams get ready to run for the Super Bowl. And uh, Jake, it was a weird feeling. I mean, I went out to the facility this week to uh, do some of those final interviews with Sean McVay and Les Snead, and Boy, you just you kind of condition yourself to thinking, all right, it's going to be a long season. Uh, the Rams are probably going to go deep into January, if not into February, and and then all of a sudden the door just slams on you, and then there's nothing more. It's it's always kind of a jarring feeling. So I don't know how you felt about it. Had had you been kind of preparing yourself mentally or maybe even physically uh, for for a playoff run that that just didn't come? I certainly certainly did, Rich. I had. Uh... My uh, my bags packed. No, uh, I I it was uh, it's been as you know it's been a strange season. It's been uncharacteristic of this new normal that we've grown accustomed to with Sean McVay and and the rest of the guys and the the team this year on paper did not look a whole lot different than it did last year and you kind of were expecting them to build on the success of the previous two seasons and uh, really, you know, capitalize on that Super Bowl appearance and come out and show uh, Los Angeles that the final season in the Colise- the final season for the Rams and the Coliseum was going to be something of a uh, sort of a, a great f- farewell send off for them. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't that we we didn't get to see the the Coliseum in the playoffs one last time. Uh, that's a little unfortunate, but the way that they ended the season wasn't uh, as uh, heartbreaking as as the season as a whole. I would say they did end on a positive note, but yeah, I, I definitely feel a little a little strange, a little empty feeling of you know I was ex- what I was expecting versus what we saw. Um, I have to ask though, what was it like going to the the practice facility this week to to kind of be there in this in this weird, uh, you know, feeling of of the season ending earlier than you thought, Rich? Yeah, it was really windy. I can tell you that. So it would have been very interesting if they were practicing this week because uh, up in that part, that part of Thousand Oaks, there was like a huge windstorm the other day. So uh, that would have made for some interesting practice uh, uh, environment. But yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys had been through it in, in even back in 2016. So you kind of know the feeling, but but it's a little different. And, and Jake, for I think for partly because of the reason you just said, um, it's it started with Sean McVay, and, and I have a feeling this is kind of be a little bit of a narrative or maybe a talking point in in that the Rams at nine and seven were the only team with a winning record that did not make the playoffs, which it's an interesting statistic. I'd have to go back and research how often um, that happens to only one team. Uh, I, I there's a lot of teams that that win nine games and don't make the playoffs, so it's not like a total anomaly, like. Oh my goodness! How could they win nine games and, and not make the playoffs? The, the issue is more that uh, the conference was pretty top heavy 
in these teams winning 12 and 13 games, you usually don't see that many teams doing that. So what, what you had is a real, uh, a real big top tier and then a pretty big bottom tier, which then kind of eliminated the middle tier where the Rams were. Uh, so they were, they were kind of all on their own there at, at nine and seven and, and without anything to, to really show for it. So I, I think for that reason, it was, it was a little bit of a different feeling. You're not you're not angry because you went, you know, six and ten or, or something like that. Uh, but you're also not happy because they came into the season with Super Bowl aspirations and certainly, you know, certainly plan to be practicing this week and and getting ready for a game or. or maybe getting ready for a bye week uh, in, in the most ideal situation. So, um, you know, disappointment, I think, would probably be the main word. But uh, but then also still some optimism and still some looking forward to the future and, uh, you know, ways that they can improve and, and things that they can do to get back on track to the way they were in 2017 and 2018. Sean McVay talked, um, I, I think, for about 15 minutes on, on Monday and then the beat writers sat down with Les Snead on Tuesday for an hour. He sat, and can you imagine having to talk to writers for an hour? What? what <laughs> I, I guess that's his punishment for for uh, going nine and seven and missing the playoffs. Is he had to sit and talk to us for an hour? But uh, pretty wide ranging uh, discussion. Less, I will say. Didn't get into a whole lot of specifics, and I, I really wouldn't have expected that just a couple days after the season. The first week or two is really about evaluation, uh, and a lot of it is self-evaluation. You, they're going to kind of sit down and, and look at how they did individually and then talk to each other uh, about how everybody did. Um, so that was still very, very early on in that process, so I wouldn't have expected a lot of details, but... Jake, the, the one thing that was, uh, I think, was probably the most interesting, and uh, I wrote about it, so I, I guess I did think it was the most interesting, was Todd Gurley, and uh, kind of a, a long, as you might imagine, a long discussion about his 2019 season and what they can expect from 2020. I had hoped, Jake, I'll just be honest here, and I appreciate Les taking the time that he did, I had hoped we would get some more clarity. Um, and I think I'd said this on the podcast earlier that after the season ended, that there might be a little more willingness or openness in terms of talking about exactly what was going on with Gurley in 2019, what the plan, quote unquote, was and and really, you know, what was going on with, with Todd Gurley. And we really didn't get it. We really did not get that kind of clarity. Uh, it was more kind of a continuation of the, you know, it's just it was a full team failure and we didn't run the ball as well as we needed to. Uh, there was a, a kind of a tacit acknowledgement from, from Les that, that Todd was not himself. Uh, he, he said that pretty directly in response to a question, which he quickly followed up by saying he meant that in a statistical sense. Uh, but you know, look, everybody Everybody saw it. Everybody kind of knows what, what kind of season Todd Gurley had. So, Jake, I'm going to throw it to you with this. My takeaway from that part of this, the discussion was that the Rams need to put their foot in the ground and go one way or the other. They need to believe that they can recommit to Todd Gurley being what he was in 2017 and 2018, being a focal point of their offense. They need to believe that he can do that and stick to that, or they need to try to trade him. And we can get into what that means, but 
I, am I am I being too black and white with that? There's a, there's obviously a lot of nuance to every situation, but that was kind of my takeaway: is that we can't afford to have another season of of what the Rams showed this season. I agree. You can't have another load management type of season with Todd Gurley. And I think I'm not going to go to the extreme like a a Bill Plaschke of the LA Times extreme and say that he must be traded or else. But I'm going to go along with what you said, Rich, and add maybe a little bit of a twist to it. And I know you touched on it in your story, which is you either have to use Todd Gurley as your main running back, as the guy that is going to uh, you're going to rely on and put the team on his shoulder, so to speak, or you're going to have to, if you're not going to use him as much, come up with a secondary option, whether that's Malcolm Brown, whether that's Daryl Henderson Jr., whether that's uh, C.J. Anderson, a, a guy like that, where you can sort of share the load with Todd Gurley and you can kind of create that two-headed monster. But this offense, this Rams offense, is designed to succeed with the run. And if you're not going to use Todd Gurley in that sense, then yeah, maybe you got to d- think about trading him. But that's th- that's easier said than done because he just signed a contract extension. It's a lot of money to a running back that can't be used at full strength. And they're, in, in, in essence, if you are going with that sort of two-headed monster or three-headed monster attack, you're essentially paying a lot of money for a running back that isn't going to be the focal point of your offense. But if you're going to keep him, you have to use him. So you got to figure out a way in which to use him. You can't have him out there on the field blocking uh, for the, the the passing game. And I know that you and Vinny early on in the season talked about this when the Rams started the season 3-0. and you guys sort of were talking about how he's he was out there for the majority of the snaps, but he wasn't getting the ball. You can't have that again. You can't have them have him out there for the majority of the snaps and not use him. And they started to do that a little bit with Malcolm Brown at the beginning of the season, but they didn't stick with it. They they we saw flashes of Daryl Henderson Jr., but they didn't really use him that well. And then he got hurt in the final game of the season. So they they need to uh, figure out a way in which this plan works. This plan this year did not work. Um, I am worried though uh, because of what I saw this year from Todd. I don't. I have very little confidence that he can return to the form that we saw in 2018 into the 2020 uh, season because um, once they did wise up this season and give him the ball, we did see flashes of the old Todd, but we never really saw him in the form that we saw in 2017 and 2018. It just seemed like in some ways he lost some of his explosiveness. Uh, there was there was no big, uh, he didn't break off any big runs. The, the longest run that he had this season was 25 yards that he got in week one versus Carolina. And then he flirted with, you know, some some 20 and some 23 yard uh gains but never really that those explosive plays that you're used to seeing from him and that worries me but if you're not going to get if you're not going to rely on him heavily 
again, you got to you got to figure out another way in which to share the load. You can't you can't go away from the running game like they did this season. They either gave Todd Gurley the ball or they didn't do anything with the running game and then you're forcing Jared Goff to throw 50 passes a game. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And the one thing in in thinking about that and, and looking back, yeah, there's kind of you you can look at the numbers and then and then you can kind of trust your eyes. And I, I agree, and I think anybody who watched Todd Gurley would would say the same that you did not see that explosiveness the same way. It's it's it sounds stupid to say, oh, he wasn't out there hurdling guys, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's not whether you hurdle a defender, but that even that type of mindset, that type of attitude that you were going to attack a defense like that is something that you saw in 2017 and 2018, and you definitely did not see this season. The only thing, Jake, that brings me back the other way is thinking about 2016 and and how Todd Gurley looked that season. And he looked, my memory, <laughs> I would love to see if there's anybody out there who's really good at cutting up video and, and can put together kind of a 2016 versus 2019 cut up. I'd, I'd love to see that because my memory of it is that Todd looked in 2016 a lot the way he looked this season. And a big part of the problem in 2016 was that offensive line. And whatever it might be with Todd, whether it's a trust issue, whether it's just the the belief that the blocks are going to be there and that he can attack the way that he wants to, I, I think there's some element within that with Todd. P- people have asked me like, oh, he seems disinterested. He seems, you know, kind of angry or whatever it might be. I, I don't I don't put too much into that. People, you know, kind of look at his interviews and, and draw conclusions based on his interviews. But the one thing I do believe is that he needs to have that kind of trust and that belief uh, and that strength of, of the offensive line and the offense. And, and I think if he has that, then you see what you saw in 2017 and 2018. What, what I saw this year was, again, somebody who kind of expected to get tackled um, the way that the, the, the run blocking was. I mean, you look at that last Arizona game, the last game of the season, what was it? He had, I think he had like minus six yards at one point in the in the first quarter. And he, there was just nothing. There was absolutely nothing he could do. He got the ball, and even before he got to the line of scrimmage, uh, he had two guys coming at him. So when that starts to happen to you on a regular basis as a, as a running back, I think that gets in your head a little bit, and you, you start to believe it's going to happen and expect it to happen. So uh, I want to see... I, and I think, still think the, the best option is to stabilize that offensive line and then see what you got. Because as you said, Jake, the contract that he has, uh, it, nothing is impossible, but this is really tough. They can't, to cut Todd Gurley at this point basically means you retain his entire salary cap hit for 2020. So that's pointless. You, you're going to have the 17 million whether he's on the roster or not. So you might as well be on the roster. There's no point in just in just cutting a guy unless you unless you hate him. And there's that's certainly not the case. The trade. It, look, I, I said I think I said in one of the comments or maybe in the the Q and A the other day, all it takes is one other GM 
with a dream and a draft pick. That that's all it takes. There's there's 31 other GMs out there. All it takes is one to say, "Hey, I still believe and here's a X round draft pick for you." And if the Rams really want to get rid of Todd Gurley, then then they can go that way. But I I still think that's also uh, a less likely scenario and and probably a less smart scenario. Um, so then you look at what can you do to help him? And I think that's a lot of what we've been talking about in um, here and, and over the last few weeks is, is how they can help get him back to what he was. So we'll, we'll talk a lot about that uh, going forward. Just real quick on some of the other things that uh, Les Snead talked about. Again, not a whole lot of breaking news or anything like that. He was asked whether he uh, regretted giving anybody a big contract. He said no. That uh, in in the case of Todd Gurley, it was uh, you know a, a nod toward everything that Todd Gurley has done for the Rams. I have thoughts on that too. We might circle back to that one too in a future episode because that's some uh, that's some icy roads when you start going down uh, rewarding guys for for past accomplishments. Uh, he talked about the left tackle situation again, very fluid as we know, uh, open to bringing back Andrew Whitworth. Potential options in in terms of uh, maybe a Bobby Evans sliding over, perhaps still Joe Noteboom, although given the long recovery that he's going to have from his ACL surgery, that seems a little unlikely, or going out on the free agent market, maybe even the trade market. Uh, and uh, and going there. But the first thing that Les Mess mentioned was uh, the potential of Whitworth. So I, I still think that if those two sides can can work something out, that that's probably the still, still the uh, most preferred option. And then finally, there was a lot of discussion about the salary cap. Uh, I think we'll go into that a little bit more next week because I intend to, to write a little bit about it. Are the Rams in as much of a salary cap crunch as people think? Uh, Les says no. I tend to agree with him with a couple asterisks, but but we'll get into that uh, uh, later on in uh, in the off season. We got a lot of time and a lot of things to talk about, so we don't we, we don't need to cover uh, everything today. But Jake, we we did promise the people in in our uh, last episode that we were going to do some mailbag stuff. And uh, we uh, got some good questions and want to take as much time as we can to to answer those. And uh, for some help, we will bring in our all-star producer, Danielle, also known as Chip. Um, and first of all, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey. Thank you for uh, having me on. Yes. Well, for, we've had Danielle on before, or at least I did, after after Vinny uh, left me on the doorstep. And <laughs> uh, But for those who don't know, Danielle, uh, Miami Dolphins fan extraordinaire. Congratulations. Oh, that was uh, a great That was a great Sunday. Franchise-defining <laughs> victory yeah. over the New England Patriots. Uh, all-star producer. Uh, we uh, everything, everything that sounds good about this podcast is direct directly attributable to Danielle. Everything oh, that sounds you. bad is is my fault. Um, <laughs> and um, a goalie extraordinaire, one of the top uh, rising stars <laughs> on the uh, on the amateur hockey yeah. circuit. So amateur is right <laughs> <laughs> for now. Uh, so wanted to bring you on to uh, lob some questions at Jake and I. So we got a few good ones from our from our readers, from our listeners on Twitter. So. Uh, Jump on in and uh, and start grilling us. Okay, so this first one is from Darren Hart, and he asks, "What was your personal observation on the vibe and feel with the players, Snead and McVeigh? 
Was there a disappointment and a look of determination, or what was uh, and what was Jared's vibe? I I'll start. I, I I think this is different for every player, and especially when you talk about a football locker room and there's fifty some guys in in the locker room. Nobody processes everything exactly the same, whether it's after a game or after a season or whatever it might be. Some guys, by their nature, are quiet. Some guys are introverts. Some guys are extroverts. Uh, some guys process disappointment very quickly and move on. Some guys uh, take it with them for a long time. So it's it's hard to discuss the vibe of the locker room because everybody's different. I mean, after that Arizona game, some guys were already kind of joking and having fun and, you know, slapping each other on the back, you know, saying goodbye. Some guys you could tell were kind of more introspective and probably upset and and spending a lot of time in thought. Um, So uh, it's, it's a little different. Les and Sean are pretty much the same. Sean is always looking forward uh, that's one of the things you can always say about him is that, you know, he, he will answer questions about the past, but he will pretty much always try to spin them going forward. So I, I don't think that's changed. Um, Les is pretty much the same guy. Jared is an interesting one because uh, Jared uh, has, has kind of the flashes of, of that fire sometimes. Uh, the one time you really saw it was at the end of the 2016 season when uh, things obviously did not go very well. And he was... You know, he was kind of steely after that last game and kind of said, we're, we're going to fix this. You know, I promise you we're going to fix it. And I, I got a little bit more of that, Jared, at the end of this season to where you could tell he was not happy with himself, with the team. And you kind of got that, you know, the jaw was set a little bit. And, and you could tell he, he was not going to be going into the offseason with a great feeling. So those are my takeaways. But, but Jake, you actually spent even more time around the guys this year uh, than I did because you were on all the, all the road games and such. So how did, how did your, uh, you know, takeaways differ from mine? I think after the Arizona game on Sunday, I felt a sense of relief in that locker room. It was sort of like, we know we're not going to make the playoffs, but at least we ended the season on a good note and we can kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, we know where we're at. We Our season's over. We're going to get back after it next season and try and you know fix some of these things that went so wrong this year. Um, there was a sense of relief, but I think overall what I would have liked to see, especially in the moments where um, they really kind of needed to rally, I, I, I kind of wanted to see that grit, that sort of uh, we're not, we're going to find a way to salvage this season no matter what. We saw that a few times during the season where they got down, maybe it was after the Baltimore game where they got murdered in that game and then they were able to kind of rally and come back. Um, but it just seemed like every time they put some wins together, they would take a dip. So when they put those wins together after the Baltimore game and then they roll into Dallas and they completely get stunned in Dallas uh, against the Cowboys, you sort of wanted to see that like that disappointment, that frustration of like, ah, oh, you know, we, we're, we're, this is not who we are. We're going to, we're going to bounce back. Uh, so the players, um, 
didn't really have that. And, and I think it was interesting what you said earlier about, about Todd Gurley is that a lot of people get the perception that he is this, uh, you know, quiet guy who's very reserved and doesn't really wear his emotions on his sleeve. And that's certainly the case when he talks to us. But I know you know this, Rich, when you watch him interact with people in the locker room, he is very jovial, very uh, excited and animated. And you don't always get to see that side of him, which is why it was a lot of fun for me during this season when we were in Atlanta and it was raining and pouring outside and I was doing I was recording uh you know one of my hits for for CBS and he came out there and asked if he could do the weather and of course I said yes and we did like a little bit and it kind of kind of went viral a little uh, and and the and the cool thing about that was that people got to see sort of that that side of him that you don't normally get to see and so we are we're privy to that but it, it's it's interesting the persona that the, that some of these players put on once the cameras come on that you're sort of like well wait a minute where where was the person we were just talking to or we were you know just seeing before we started rolling before we started asking questions um in terms of McVeigh, I, I agree with your sentiments on McVeigh that he uh, is sort of always looking forward. He's always got that positive uh, vibe towards him, and even in a lo- after a loss, you know, he's he's really good at pushing forward to to the next week. You don't really see a lot of fire in McVeigh. Um, I think that that would be uh, welcomed uh, certainly uh, once he you know moves forward in his his head coaching career. The only real time we saw him get really hot was actually in the final game when uh, they blew that fake punt uh, and he kind of got into, you know, John Fossil's face a little bit. Um, but that was the only time we really saw some anger uh, out of out of McVeigh. And that was after the, you know, the winner winner loss didn't really matter in that one. Um, but he's he's certainly one that's very even keeled. I'd say I'd say Goff is kind of takes after McVeigh in a little in a little bit. Um, he kind of, you know, doesn't really change his mood from one week to the next. It's sort of he remains the status quo. He remains that kind of guy that, you know, understands the shortfalls of this team, but is not really going to get into the weeds and not really going to, you know, be outspoken and, and show that frustration that they may have behind closed doors. This next one is from Maxwell Walker. What do you think is one move the Rams should do, but probably won't end up doing? I think one move that they could do that they probably won't do is uh, try and trade Rob Havenstein and or Brandon Cooks to try and free up some cap space. Um, I, I don't see that that's really going... It's going to be hard to move someone like Havenstein, who just signed a four-year contract extension in 2018. Not really an attractive contract to move, especially since you do need depth at that offensive line, those those offensive line positions. Um, we saw you know this offensive line take a lot of hits, and it, it was banged up, and it was inconsistent. Um, but I, I would like to see Austin Blythe back. I would like to see him as the center. Um, but if you're if you're gonna deal someone, maybe Rob Havenstein is the one that you would like to deal. We don't know what his status, what really was going into the final games. I mean, he certainly was practicing, and it, it certainly looked like he could go. But 
it, it almost it almost seemed like they wanted to see what they had with Bobby Evans and let him continue uh, working with this particular group towards the end. So but I think Bobby Evans uh, is going to have if he doesn't have a starting role, he'll have a, de- a significant role uh, on this team. And then and then Brandon Cooks, uh, who didn't really have that great of a season this year. Uh, he also had the, the two concussions. So that's that would be a hard guy to move. Um, but you could definitely see the Rams exploring their options and trying to see if there are any other teams out there that could use a receiver like Brandon Cooks. Yeah, good stuff. I'd wanted to say hi to Maxwell, first of all. He's a guy who just signed up as an athletic subscriber. So thanks for that, and uh, thanks for the question. And yeah, great answer, Jake. You you actually you slipped my answer into, into your answer, which would be uh, I, I think they should bring back Austin Blythe and – I, they still could, but the fact that he he has not signed a contract extension to date makes me wonder what's going on there. And and my my journey on this is, uh, you know, Austin started the season at right guard, and and he was, I would say, he was a part of the problem in terms of that offensive line. He did not perform particularly well at right guard, but across the line, nobody played particularly well. I don't think anybody from Whitworth to the way Noteboom started to Brian Allen to Rob Havenstein. I don't think any of those guys were playing to their potential. Uh, but after they moved, after the injuries, the first round of injuries took place, and they moved Austin Blythe to center, you saw almost instantly an improvement, not only in Austin's play himself, but in the improvement of that offensive line. And you heard other guys on the line talking about his communication the calmness that he brought to that center position. And and I never took that as a knock on Brian Allen. I didn't think they were drawing comparisons or saying one guy is better than the other. It, it struck me as just pure, uh, you know, uh, enjoyment of, of what Austin Blythe was doing, pure, uh, you know, appreciation of, of that. And it just makes me think. Now, Brian Allen probably will be ready for, for whatever the Rams do in the offseason. I don't quite know the extent of his injury. I don't think it's as serious as, as Joe Noteboom's, but he'll be back at some point. So I understand, in theory, the thought that, okay, you, you'd committed to Brian Allen. Uh, it might be kind of devastating for his psyche if, if you then say, uh, we're going to go to somebody else. I get that. But the way that that line played over the second half of the season and the way that Austin Blythe, in specific, played at center – uh, I, I just don't know. I don't know if you mess with that now. He's, he's still a young enough guy. He's only 27. He only made about $2 million this year. It's not like he's older. It's not like he's going to be costing you $10 million to sign. He seems to want to come back. Uh, so I, I just don't know why you wouldn't do that, given what he showed over the second half of the season. And you still have Brian Allen. You He can play guard, too. Uh, so it's a possibility he could compete at one of those spots. Or, as we just saw this season, injuries happen all the time, and it never hurts, like you just said, Jake, never hurts to have a valuable, versatile backup. So whether they do that or not, I don't know. I, I still think it's a possibility. Uh, but I, I do think they're going to end up regretting it a little bit if, if they let Austin Blythe walk away. All right, Rich, I'll have you start with this one too. Jose asks, is there a fear by ownership or management 
that with the cost of the tickets and SSL at SoFi, that the average fan may not be able to attend as many home games next year? Yeah, I, I, I just have to answer this question honestly. And, and the answer is no, I don't think there is. And, and I, I think what Jose is asking here is, are the Rams afraid that they're going to kind of price out those diehard fans, the people who maybe can't afford to drop a couple thousand dollars on, on a seat license or something like that? And I guess it's a yes and no. I mean, it's not an ideal situation. I'm sure the Rams would would love to have a stadium full of those, you know, diehard screaming fans who can get in at $25 a game or something like that. But that's just not the reality of the NFL. It's not the reality of the NFL anywhere in any city. It's it's an expensive ticket. It's an expensive game to watch and uh, frankly, Rams fans have, have benefited a little bit here over the last three years because they have been playing at the Coliseum with 90,000 seats at one point and then down to 70,000 some this season. Uh, obviously not the same type of experience, so the Rams weren't going to be charging the same type of prices. Uh, so I, I guess I'm happy for those fans that they were able to have that experience uh, for for three years, and I'm sorry, I'm not. I know it sounds a little elitist, but it's just the way it is. I mean, I grew up in L.A. in the '80s when the Lakers were great, and they played at the Forum, and you couldn't get into a Laker game. I mean, my my family grew up middle class. Uh, I never got to go to a Laker game. We went to Clipper games at the sports arena because they were terrible, and you went to watch the other the other teams, the other star players. You you really couldn't even think about getting into a Laker game. Uh, for for quite a while, and really, I don't know whether you can now. I, I don't. Th- I don't think that's a realistic thing for for you know the quote unquote average fan now. So, uh, I again, just to answer the question, I I don't think. Uh, I, I think it's just something that's an unfortunate byproduct uh, for those fans. I would say definitely, you know, watch the secondary market. That's always going to be there. Uh, people who either buy s- tickets to resell them or, or just don't go to games or, or things like that. I mean, with a with a 70,000 seat stadium, you're still still going to have that ability uh, on game time or uh, any other of those uh, sites to uh, to get find your way into into the game at a lower price. But uh, again, it's it's just kind of the unfortunate reality of uh, of being a fan of the NFL. I think the bandwagon is very real in this scenario, and what I mean by that is is if you have a good team in Los Angeles and you prove that year after year you're putting a good product on the field or on the court or whatever surface you play on, then the fans are going to show up. You mentioned the Lakers, Rich. It's, it, you know, it may have been tough to get tickets back then, but it's it's certainly tougher, if not just as tough to get tickets today. Yeah. The, the Lakers are a hot commodity. They're one of the best teams in basketball. And so fans are going to come out and watch that. And, and similarly with the Dodgers, they know that they can they can have, you know, the you know, majority or a good chunk of their fans not being able to watch the team on television and still expect to draw three million fans a season. I mean, that's a gamble that they can take because they know that the fan base is there. And I think for the Rams, the trick would be to get that fan base to gather around this team, whether it's the, the, the fans from, you know, when they were first in Los Angeles that still followed the team or may have been heartbroken. I know there are some fans that were heartbroken when the Rams left for St. Louis and still haven't recovered. And then also the new generation of Rams fans, the young kids who are just learning about football. I know that when I grew up in Los Angeles, we didn't have a football team. So I didn't really have an allegiance one way or the other to any of the teams because I didn't grow up uh, watching it in Los Angeles. So they're going to have a tough time getting those fans back. But I think the trick will be is to put 
put a good product out on the field. If your team wins, then the fans will show up. It seems pretty simple. I think that the thing that the Chargers are dealing with, among other many other issues that they're dealing with, is that they just don't have a good team. And so it's hard to say to your fan base, hey, come out and support us. Come out and spend your hard-earned dollars every Sunday to watch us lose. You, that's not a really good pitch. But if you have a team that's going to compete every year, and even this Rams team, which wasn't as good as the previous two years, was good enough to make the playoffs in, in a number of different scenarios. If they played in the NFC East, they'd be in the playoffs. If Greg Zerline makes that kick against Seattle back in week five, then they make the playoffs. So it, it's it, it's a good enough team to win now. It's a good enough team to win next year. And I think that even with ticket prices, if they jack them up or if they don't, and it doesn't seem to really matter. If you have a good team, fans will show up. No, no question about it. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. And uh, again, the, the tickets will be there. I understand. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, to, to, to sit here as somebody who gets to sit in a press box and, and watch these games, I don't want to sound unsympathetic to, to people who would really love to, to get into those games and, and, and watch them live. I, I certainly understand. I've been there. Uh, but it's just, you know, when you're opening a $5 billion stadium or whatever it's up to now, uh, that's just kind of the reality of it. And I, I would encourage all of those fans to remain as vigilant as they can on the, on that secondary market and try to get in. But, you know, it's, a, it's also up to the Rams too, to, to build that community for those people who, who can't afford to, to get into games because there's a lot of them and a lot of those people are, are some of your most diehard fans. And, and I think the Rams have done a good job with that over the last three, four years here. And uh, they'll, they'll continue to, but you, you can't just, uh, you know, do fan service to, to the people who can afford to buy your tickets. You, you have to uh, do the same for, for the legions out there who, who, you know, cheer you on every, every Sunday on TV. And like I said, I think they've done that and uh, they, they need to continue to be vigilant about that uh, as they move into the new stadium. So, Jake, that was fun. We, we have more questions. And like I said, we've, we've got a full off season and, and we'll dive into a, a few more of them, I'm sure, on uh, on future episodes. We'll get into the off season starting next week. We will go weekly with our podcast episodes. So, so one per week, but we'll still go in depth on a lot of issues. We'll start doing some position by position analysis. That's something I'm going to be writing throughout January. So we'll talk about those kind of as they get published. I know we'll have a, you know, a guest or two maybe. We'll talk about some team awards. And you know, before you know it, people, it'll be time for the combine. It's It will be here quicker than you can possibly imagine. Trust me on that. So but before long, we'll be talking about uh, I'll be heading out to Indianapolis uh, to, to cover the scouting combine where, where there will be availability with Les Snead and Sean McVay. So we'll find out even more then. And uh, by then, we'll start to have some roster decisions. It's going to go fast, folks. And I know it's disappointing now, but it'll be a fun off season. It'll be very interesting. And uh, Jake and I will be here with you to to talk about it all. So I'll continue to be writing. And Jake, obviously, you're you're. I know you're headed off to work right now. So, but what? Uh, t- tell people what uh, they should be watching on CBS two and KCAL here. Just very quickly, Sports Central every night, ten thirty on KCAL nine. I uh, continue to follow 
uh, us on on the weekends. We do a great job of covering football. We're going to be doing a, a really good job of covering the the playoffs. So stick with us on CBS, even though the Rams uh, and Chargers they're not in there. But you know we we still uh, you know don't let the fans down, and we still do a great job of of covering the NFL and covering every sport in Los Angeles. So uh, keep following us on Twitter, online, on uh, on television. We'll be there for you. That's right. Yeah. Uh, CBS does does an awesome job. As, as long as I can remember, I remember CBS covering the uh, the AFC playoffs and some some great matchups. So I, I know that's going to continue starting this weekend. So yes, definitely uh, watch there. I certainly mean it when I say appreciate all of you uh, who have supported us in 2019. And I'm really looking forward to, to 2020 and, and doing some good stuff. But thank you for, for joining us and, and thank you for all your support. And please do follow along with us on Twitter. I am at Rich underscore Hammond. Jake is at Reiner underscore Jake, R-E-I-N-E-R underscore Jake. And uh, like we said, we'll continue to be interactive throughout the offseason. There's going to be a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting issues involving the Rams. So we will always be there to break them down for you. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back with you next week to start to break down that Rams offseason. So take care. Have a good weekend.